I've always had a love-hate relationship with my nerves, <laughs> and I think more hate than love. Welcome to the Muddy Mondays. It's Tuesday, but we said it in the first episode, we might not be as regular. Um, we are prioritizing the racing this year. And so sometimes the podcast, you know, sometimes we make sure that we rest a little before we do the podcast, but that also ensures a better episode because our brain are not as fried. So all that to say, welcome this morning to Muddy Mondays version first World Cup of the season yeah i think if we did the the muddy mondays on monday this week it probably would have started something like this hey um hello um what are we doing what are what yeah we were pretty yeah. fried we were pretty cracked yesterday it was a big weekend of world cup racing um it's only one race you know and and most times we do saturday sunday racing but this world cup was bigger It was better. It was more of everything that makes it engaging. And it was less of everything that makes these weekends easy. So it was a busy and tiring weekend. Um, But also fun. Very fun. Extremely fun. And um, this is where we're at now. Tuesday morning. We're going to recap that with you and speak about the next steps. So let's do it. I think you had, we, you had the first question this morning that we, we decided. I do. Um, so you said, you know, we, I think we went over the fact that this was the, the first weekend where we were really going to get and, and I don't not to brag or not to sound cocky or anything, but where you were really going to be challenged, you know, like the racing was going to bring the absolute was going to need the absolute best of what you have. Just because it's the highest level. So it's you the know, highest it, level of it the just sport. It's just what it is. Not about the people or whatever. It's just like it was North American racing and now it's World Cup racing. And so like it's a different. And so it's a different level and one where we don't have as much success as we have on the North American scene. Um, and so we were excited to go. Also, I think a little anxious. Um We'll we'll spare the race, so we'll speak about the race later. But you told me you said you told me one thing. I think it was yesterday uh, in the plane, and you said I was really really nervous just at the tipping point of it being toxic, but I was able to bring it back. So can you can you tell us a little bit more and and, and maybe how? Well, first, how do you acknowledge now that you are nervous? Second when and how did that started changing for you? Like when you were able to control it or, or just first really just realize it and some example of what it is when it becomes toxic or when it becomes, uh, you know, jet fueled. Yeah, I think good question. Um, I, I think I knew I was going to be nervous, uh, but okay, let's start from the beginning. I've always had a love-hate relationship with my nerves, <laughs> and I think more hate than love. Um, I think as a racer, it's something that you need to be able to deal with. But in the past, it's not always been my strength to deal with it. So I can deal with the nerves, but there is a point where you so want to do well that the nerves become uh, fear. And to me, that's, that's the point where it becomes negative. And when I say fear, it's like... 
I'll, I'll try to kind of stay still stay brief and I mean it could be a full-on episode about that I think but I mean people spend their whole lives trying to figure <laughs> it out so not just an episode yeah exactly um I think when it becomes fear it's it's when you you have like you so want to do well but like your identity is attached to the performance you're going to deliver and then it's scary because what if I mean, I know that I've done everything in training. I know that I've I've prepared the best I could. What if I give my absolute all and it's not enough? And sometimes, although from the outside, it doesn't seem like who it seems like, oh, well, who cares? Like you just do that and it's simple. But when it's you yourself, sometimes it's scary. You're, you're like, yeah, you kind of pride yourself maybe on the work you did. And if it's not enough, it, it can hurt, basically. It feels like a failure, like you are a failure. And I think that's where it, it, it becomes scary. I think it's worth mentioning, you know, for most people, what we do is entertainment. We are entertainment. You know, millions watch the race, they're entertained, gives them a good time and that's it. But for, for us and for you, it is the center of our world. You know, as much as we're not curing cancer, we're not, you know, changing the global economy or, or, or you know, um, helping wars. This is the center of our world. You know, you... The breakfast is thought of according to the training. Then you yep. take a nap. Then you go to bed an hour that allows you to recover. And so literally every single decision of your whole life, it's not just a job. It's an all-encompassing job that monopolizes your whole life. And so it is the center of our little world. And so maybe that help explains why it can There's become very heavy, not he I don't want to say heavy, but loaded with emotions. Yeah. But then at the same time, like I've had experiences where I was really nervous and the nerves propelled me to do better. And I've also been able to notice when that happens. And, and sometimes the way I like to picture it is if I'm in a good state of mind, Um, the nerves, they're still there. Like I'll, I'll still want to perform and there's still a lot of adrenaline before the event. But I, I try to see it as like my, the nerve is like a tank and it's like, it fills up, fills up, fills up. And it's just like, ah, boom. Like when it, when you finally can go, it's just all that energy that propels you. So those are like the love hate relationship, but I've had, I've struggled with you know, seeing it as fear many times. So coming into this World Cup, I knew I was going to be nervous, but I I felt kind of free of this fear. And I think the reason for that is because this year I've really tried hard and worked on uh, focusing on a progress rather than the outcome. And each race is an opportunity to progress, but the only way I can progress is by giving a very honest, best performance. And so, but yeah, but then I have to detach myself of what this best performance is. If Is it first place? Is it eighth place? Is it last place? I don't know. And then understanding that, you know, I talked about failure, which hurt, like understanding that if I fail, if I don't do well, it's not like I'm a failure. It's just like, yeah, okay, I messed up. It's not enough. I need to improve. So again, like progress over actual outcome. But as long as I, it, but if I don't give my true, honest, best performance, I won't know. And so that's what my focus is on it, rather than just like 
the outcome and like if I win I'm good if I don't win I'm not good so I, like I really had to detach myself from that and kind of approach the race with an open mind of like let's see what happens and and I think that's where that that's kind of the I don't know if it answers the question but then it like more specifically you asked like how I noticed I just knew like on the morning of the race I was nervous I was like everything was happening around and at some point Do you, I was going to ask, do you remember the exact moment? Like when you're like, okay, this is all, this is almost too much. I, and, and is there something you can do for yeah, it? Yeah. I felt like I was getting a little bit irritable. Like it, <laughs> is that, I don't know if it's a word, but like irritated by people around me. And I knew that that meant, okay, like there's something wrong here. So I, I decided to isolate myself basically. So I went to sit in the car by myself and I put, I knew it. I was like, okay, like now I need to switch this back to fun. So I, to positive. And time out for you. Time out for me. Shock caller. Yeah. So I went back in the car. I put some music that I know makes me happy. That was prepared. I had, I already have like a, I have a warm up playlist, but I also have a pre-race playlist. It's like a, just positive vibes that I know songs make me happy. So I sat down, I listened to that. Then I, visualize one full lap of the course in my head, which give me confidence. I'm confidence because I'm like, okay, I know exactly what I'm about to do. And yeah, just played some good tunes and made the conscious decision in my head to flip it and reminded myself like, okay, progress. Like this is what I, that's what I've been wanting to do all season. I've been wanting to be challenged and I've been wanting to know where I stand. So like, this is it. Like just, it is. like it's finally here. So like just embrace it and go. And then, So I was already like, that really helped me. Then I got in the good mood. I got on my warm up, and I just felt like good and excited for it. And then, you know, when you might see it on TV, like we're kind of all riding around uh, before they do the call up. And I was standing there before the call up with Zoe Baxted. She's like such a cool, positive person. And we were like chatting a little bit and then they played a Taylor Swift song. It was like, are you ready for it? And like, we both started singing it. And I think we were like, we realized that the other one was also singing. So it just was a positive moment. And we started singing, to singing together. And I was like, oh, game on, like I am ready for it. And like, it became, it, yeah, like basically like a process of changing it from fear and bad to like really positive and let's go. Oh, that's cool. That's, I think, like from my perspective, I can, I mean, we've been to literally hundreds of events together where it's just the two of us or two of us and a few other people. And I can clearly see it, you mm -hmm. know, well, yeah, of course. like I know right away, like as we pull into the venue, we start getting our stuff organized and ready. And then I can see it in your eyes and your behavior. And, and I can, and it's very hard for me to help you with that. There's, there's nothing not, you can do, to be honest. There's not much I can yeah. do. Um, I try, you know, to, to, they say the only way you can light other people on fire is to be lit yourself. So I try myself to, 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 you know, put out what I'd like, what you would like to, to put out as well. But sometimes it's just hard. And I could tell this weekend that you were right on the edge, but then as you started warming up and you gave me a couple of smiles instead of you, instead of like a nervous, like, ah, oh, get away from here, get out of here. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, okay, I think we're in for a good one. So So that, so that was great. Yeah, I was going to ask if you were if you were nervous since it was the first one, but I, I guess you. I mean, it, 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 
Yeah, it really felt like the first one, you know, because the first one, like the other races, the USCX series we did, um, they're great events, they're great races, but we didn't put as much into them. Um, and so, yes, I was nervous. I mean, I've been and I've been nervous the same way for I've been around high performance rate races myself first as a racer and then as a coach manager, whatnot for the past 25 years now. And for me, it's always the same thing. Like as I'm driving to the venue, when I was younger, it wasn't me that was driving. Now I am driving to the venue. When I see the first cone, like there's a yellow cone that says, you know, there's an event and you got to park here or there or whatnot that just guides people. When I see that first yellow cone, if I have to get nervous, that's when I get nervous. And when I was a kid, it would just carry, you know, I would start to get super nervous and I'd carry it all the way to the race. Now, for the past years, I know I'm aware of it. And so when I see the first cones and I get nervous, I'm like, oh, wow, I, I care about it today. You know, yeah. it's like I do care. And it's funny because I was looking at Whoop has this stress monitor data. So this Whoop bracelet that we that we wear uh, basically tracks our heart rate, heart rate variability, our temperature, our respiratory rhythm and all these other health variables. And so I, I was watching my whoop report from the day and two things. The first one is about that cone stress moment. You can clearly see at the moment we pull into the venue, I'm driving. So I'm sitting, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, you know, my heart rate is 45. And then all of a sudden the stress monitor goes up to 3.0, which is the maximum amount of stress that, that whoop gives you, which for me is like, even when we do workouts that are maximal, I rarely hit 3.0. I hit 3.0 when we're in the sauna and it's 180 degree Fahrenheit in there and I, oh, I'm suffocating. That's when I hit 3.0. <laughs> so sitting in the car, my heart rate goes from 45 to 100. My temperature rises, everything gets, and you see the spike. So that was cool. Um, so that's the first thing that that whoop was really fun to see after because it's very real. You know, the physical, yeah. the, what your the body toll. does, the, the physical toll on your body of that stress that is non-existent this is nothing you know there's not a bear running after you there's not it's all self it's a cone it's, it's it's all self-created um and then the other thing is i burned almost four thousand calories that day and i only went for a 20 minute run in the morning you yeah. know it's not like i was super active but it's just the stress of always being kind of like just i think it's also so, like just to so say yes i am still nervous well and I'm sure like, so David is as implicated in, in this pursuit as I am, but also like, I think it, the, the stress is also about the things that need to be done. Like on a race, like yes, like Sunday, um, the conditions had been changing hourly, you know, over the last three days. So it went from like soupy mud to like really deep, thick mud. And then we went pre-riding and it was still packing up the bikes and super thick. And then it was packing up and getting a little bit faster. So there, there's a lot of unknown that add to the stress. Like we have to be on it. We have to keep looking. We have to do like our task to get ready to the race. But on top of that, keep an eye on what's going on on the course right now. How is it changing? How do we need to adapt our equipment? So there's a lot going on. Um, so it, I, mean, I think add, that just... adds to the, to the nerves. And I think that we have to remember, I think about like our body is well made. If we are nervous, it's for a reason. It's like our body knows that it's getting ready for something. Yeah. And so we, we need to be able to use it accordingly instead of letting us hinder our performance. It, it's just like, it's getting us ready 
to be able to answer to the demands, I think. Yeah, and, and, and speaking of like the demands, like I, I think that's a cool number that we talked about uh, on our morning walk this morning. And people sometimes don't realize, but if you wash your bike, if you have two bikes and you wash them twice and, you know, every month, that's 24 bike washes in a year for a regular human being that rides a bike. I This weekend, I washed Mag's three bikes over 30 times. You know, so that's wash and dry and clean and check on pads and check on chain and, and check on every single boat and all of that stuff. So so these weekends where it's muddy, uh, you know, you there's a lot of pre-ride conditions change. You go off and on course like some of the day before the race, you were out pre-riding, you were completing half a lap mm-hmm. with one bike. And so 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 there is it was a busier weekend, but it was super fun and, and all our stuff was flawless. So so Yeah, that's what we love. I personally that's one of the things that I love about Cyclocross because we have to be adaptable and and I think the people who are more open minded and more adaptable can perform better. So just to and, and I think that's fun. Like I mean, we did our pre ride and I we had decided, okay, it's still pretty muddy, there's still a lot of ruts, there's still a lot of deep sections, so we're gonna go with the challenge limits tires, which are the bigger the more you know, the the bigger the bigger mud tires. And maybe with the option of the Flandrian, which is like just a little bit under in terms of tread, so that that was the other option then we're on the train ramp finishing my warm-up and then jules van kempen um who was racing the elite men he had just come back from pre-ride and he's like hey no mud tires i might might go with file treads i might go with file treads (laughs) like it's changing really quickly so like that's i don't know 20 minutes before the race and like we're changing the setup we have to make quick decision on like what pressure we're making then we go for the call up and like we see the course and then some riders are like changing their tires on the start line. So like, that's a fun part. It's like, it, it really is. But, but just to give you an idea, that's how quickly the decisions are made and how, how it changes. So actually in the pits, Dave, I've had the, my two other bikes with different tires and are like, we, we made the call of like, okay, mid rate, like I might change bike after a lap. I'm going to scream to you which tires I want and which pressure you adjust it, And then I change it. So fun, fun times. Yeah, great times. I think if you haven't watched the race, go ahead, do so. On our side, uh, the racing was great. Mag was fourth, which is um, bittersweet. Uh, Bitter because just off the podium by a dozen seconds, uh, mostly created by a first lap mistake. You messed up the start. You weren't aware enough and kind of ended up back mm-hmm. uh, back of the main, back of the first. Uh, I mean, I three, like the, the three girls went away right. Like I never saw After them the again. The first two turns, and then that was that. And so you missed that. That, um, but that's that's a good wake up call for us. You know, you hadn't been challenged that hard, uh, in, and and everybody's more. Kind of like they give you space in North America. They know who you are, you know, and they're like, oh, Magali. We give and each other we, space. Yeah, yeah, I everybody think. It's gives like each a, it's other a, space. It's, it's something we maybe need to change, but yeah, like we give each <laughs> other space. But so that was different. And so that was the racing. You can go and watch it on GCN. Uh, it was a great race. We don't have much to report, you know, except the fact that it was bitter because of that. And it was sweet because it really tells us like some of your, most of your lap times were as fast as podium lap times. 
And so that for us tells us that, you know, it's, we're, we're really excited for the coming races. Um, I think, yeah, third place was within, within range, absolutely. Third, third place was Celine in that case. But the two first girls, I mean, especially Femme who won, they, they, had, a, they had an edge. So like we have, to, we have to close that gap. And luckily, like we have one month until our next World Cup. So we're missing the Mass Michelin, the second round, but we'll be there from the third round. I think round. they say, Yeah, she told me actually Femme the other day, something, whatever. But we're missing this one. We'll be be back for Dendermonde so that's in a, a little bit less than a month so we have time I think to still improve and that's a nice thing this year like we started training later so yes There I'm happy room. with my condition now but I do feel like I've we I feel like we're just starting so I feel like there's room to to grow yeah I, I agree I think there's a uh, plenty of room to grow Um, and there's some things that we noticed this weekend that we can work on that are I don't want to say easy or quick fix but like The physical training, as much as it's going to sound weird, is the easiest part of this whole thing. You know? yeah. <laughs> like you're there, you want to be somewhere else, you do the steps necessary by training. The staying healthy, the deciding which races, the traveling, the balancing the nerves, the, all of that stuff is much more complicated than the training. If it was just the training in an isolated environment, it'd be super easy to progress. And so I think we're in a good spot. Um We both wanted to take a moment to thank Trek Bicycles. Uh, they are obviously not our main sponsor, and they are actually a, bi a big competitor of our main partner. We ride Canyon, by we the way. We ride Canyon the bikes, bikes. The bikes, the bikes are... were awesome this week. Actually, just a fun fact. Out of the top five, four of us were riding the Canyon in Flight CFR, like the new Canyon bike. So I think it gives you an idea how cool the bike is. So, so if you don't have one, yeah, I Pook, mean... Yeah, myself, and Zoe in fifth, we all had the, the Canyon bike. So anyway. So we still wanted to, train uh, to thank Trek Bikes because they're the last ones putting world, a World Cup in North America. It's right there. If you don't know how, they, how involved they are, it's Literally, the registration is inside the Trek office. It's on their property. They own that land. They, they it's their employees that are volunteering for You'll the race. You'll hear from them in a minute. Um, it's, it's just, it's a Trek. It's a full-on Trek event. You know, they, they, they encourage highly their other partners, their business partners, to be part of the event. And so, it's just for us. If there's no U.S. World Cup, um, it's just a European Cup. You know, and, and it, it, even though it's. Uh, 2,000 miles away from our house. It still feels like a home race. Um, and the fine folks at Trek are always super welcoming. They put on a great event. They make sure everything's dialed. And we're just super grateful we still have that big World Cup to look forward to in the U.S. And, it's and a huge opportunity, and I think it's so important for our sport. So thank you for... Yeah, we know it's expensive. We know it's complicated to put on a World Cup, but it's so appreciated. So... And, and, and I think, it, as I said, I think it's huge for our sport. Thank you also... Thank you for the European riders that showed up. Like, honestly, I know it's just one step, but it's fun. I mean, we had a good women's field. There was a good men's field. Both races were exciting to watch. And I know it would be easy to skip it because it's only one. But, like, we make the trip over. And it's, it's so cool when you guys make the trip over here, too. Like, it elevates the, elevates the level. And for the fans... I mean, cyclocross fans in the U.S., there are a lot of them, and they love to see big racing. They're so happy when the Euro, the, the top Euro, European riders show up. So thanks for coming. And, and lastly, thank you for the fans. It was awesome. To be honest, like the vibe around the event, and I don't know if, if you agree, Dave, but I feel like 
this year, I feel like every inch of the course had people cheering. And it's as, as David said, it's not really our home race. It's not even our country, but it, <laughs> I feel like... It's not our country. It's not our bike brand. It's not but, like we have nothing to do with this goddamn event. You know? No, like, but at the same time, I, I do think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think that the North American cyclocross fans adopted us a little bit, even if we're not from the u.s and it i i felt it around the course i felt Absolutely. the love and it it felt i felt lucky like to be able to experience that like i my name which was shouted people were giving me gaps like you're catching up silly and podium is 10 seconds ahead and i could have like the whole course i knew where i was exactly and it just it was so cool so thank you like we're still buzzing from the weekend and it was just such a fun fun event perfect I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to a question we had uh, two podcasts ago from Andrew, who listened to the podcast and sent me a note that said, wait and not answer my question. <laughs> so, so the question was, are we going to Europe this year? And when we have made plans, everything's booked, our flights are booked, we're, we're rock and rolling. Um, tell us what's next. Yes, we. So, what's next? We are finishing the USCX series in at the really rad festival of cyclocross. That's in uh, close to Cape Cod, I think, in Fal Falmouth. I don't know in Massachusetts. The Cape, at the Cape. So and, we're uh, finishing. It's, it's a great event. If it's you, awesome fun, you yeah. if you listen and you're drive within driving distance, Go. it's by the sea. It's awesome. It's, it's a great event. Yeah. So we're gonna be there on October 28, 29. So that that will be the end of our North American season. So we'll finish the USCX series over there, and then we will uh, unfortunately skip Panams this year and skip nationals. Um, no hard feeling. Sorry. Like we wanted, it was a goal of mine to go, but it turns out it was very, very expensive for us to go there and very complicated logistically. So we decided instead that I'm, we want to, I mean, my goal is to chase the world cup, the world cup. Like I want to be, I feel like at this point in my career, um, my goal, I, I talked earlier about progress over outcome. I want to keep progressing. That's what's motivating for me. And I feel at this point in my career, the best way to progress is to race consistently with the best riders in the world. And currently those riders are in Europe. And that's where that's that's the reason why I want to go there. So on November 7th, we are flying from home into Brussels. And from November 8th, we will be in Europe. So from the Dendermond World Cup, we should be doing all of them if all goes well. Uh, and stay there until the world championships. We will add a few races here and there, you know, the, the other series, but we, I mean, we'll share a calendar eventually. Yeah, I think for us, we'll really focus on the World Cup as yeah. they they are, I mean, Max is fourth overall now in the series. Uh, we want to support that. We also feel like in the past, these events have been more um, equal opportunity, if you will, for North American. There's parking for everybody. It's not discretionary by the parking guy. Um, there's more money too, which is a big part of, of it. You know, for us, it's very, if you travel in the past couple of months, you know how expensive traveling is right now. And the World Cup has really good prize money, um, which for us, the it makes a big difference, but also we can't break even like you've heard stories of Mathieu and Wild getting eight, 10,000 euros to start these series races and stuff. We really are not there. Like most of these series, if you don't commit to the whole series, they will give you 
nothing or a couple hundred euros. So even if if we would go to these smaller series and and win and have a start contract, it would still not be equivalent as the World Cup. So 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 thanks to the UCI for providing these opportunities, but also you know having I think a lot of the racers that's what Pook and, and Sharon did last year. They did mostly the World Cup. Um, so it is the, the the highest level of competition. That's where we want to be. So we'll focus on those first and and see uh, if there are opportunities away from the World Cup. Yeah. So we are. I mean, we'll share more about that. But we are. I think both of us excited for those asking. Yes, Mia will be coming with us again. That's our little dog. Um, okay. I think um, one thing I want to share is. Well, first we have snippets, so uh, not many, but there I have, I think, two or three snippets. We were so focused. I, I talked about my nerves. We were so focused this weekend that I forgot to take a lot of snippets, but we did chat with a lot of people. So thank you for taking the time to chat, people. Here are the snippets for today. And uh, yeah, let's hear it. Okay, we just finished the race. I finished like 10 minutes ago, not even, and now I'm at the finish line and I met Gemma. How old are you? I'm 11. And uh, what did you think of today's race? I thought it was awesome and all the pros did amazing. Yeah, what is your what is your favorite thing to watch like when you watch a pros race? Um, maybe the barriers or the steep uphills and downhills. Yeah. And do you ride cyclocross too? Yes. So are you faster than us in the, at the barriers? You can say yes, I wouldn't be offended. No. I, I think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you. Do you want, is there something you want to say to your favorite rider? Like, if you could say something to your favorite rider, what would you say? I don't know. Um, your race was harder. My race was harder. Yes. <laughs> no. You know what's fun is, like, it, it never gets easier. It just eventually goes a little faster. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Okay, we are at anti-doping, and um, the winner of the race, Femme Van Ampel, is there. Um, what did you think of today's, today's race? Uh, yeah, it went quite well. Um, I like uh, all the support over here and uh, it gives me goosebumps during the race. So uh, yeah, I like it. You're wearing a, a hockey shirt right now. You look awesome. Are you a hockey fan or anything? Is, is hockey popular in, in the Netherlands? No, not that I think, so, but um, yeah, I like it. And uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a, another shirt for the collection. So uh, that's nice. That's nice. Okay, what was your, uh, your favorite part about this trip to the U.S.? Um, yeah, the race. Um, last year, um, yeah, it was my second time. And um, yeah, for me, um, there was no doubt to, to not come over here. And uh, yeah, the crowd, uh, what I said earlier, yeah, it's amazing over here. It's uh, totally different than in Europe. So uh, yeah, I like it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Anything you want to say else or all you're good? <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully I have a safe uh, trip home and uh, yeah, see you all uh, in the other World Cups. Awesome. Thank you for taking the time. The whole fan. Was it? So we are with Ella Brenneman. How old are you? 18. First World Cup today? Yes. What's the lowdown? Tell us. What do you think? Uh, I was behind Sharon's reel at the start, which I did not feel right being there. Um, go into the pit, and then I go over the bars, eat shit. But it made me chase for the rest of the race, and then I ended up 19th, so I'll take it. Solid. Oh, yeah. You beat, I mean, you're almost beating your age, so that's pretty good. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Not right? Not as, not as good as you. <laughs> well, I didn't get your prediction, so actually I failed. Almost. Almost. <laughs> so Ella predicted I would finish third. 
and I did not. So just close, close. All right, thank you. <laughs> All right, we're with Mitch, who is the king of the parking at the Trek Cup and Trek World Cup. He's like managing everyone. You're there, you're there, like on it. Um, but you're also a Trek employee. And my question to you is, what does this event mean to Trek employees? Because it seems like a lot of you are working at the event. Yeah, it's a huge event for all of us as employees. A uh, ton of lot, like just a ton of work in general. But it's a really good opportunity for us to have like good camaraderie with just as a team, and then also to be able to mix and mingle with fans and athletes, and just create a really awesome party and atmosphere that's in our backyard. So yeah, it's super cool. So do most of the employees work the event, or some of them get a privilege and get to race the event? Like how does that how who, how does that work? So everybody gets to race it because okay. I mean why not right? Everybody should have fun. Uh, but in terms of working it's totally up to you but okay. we have probably about a 50-50 split so That's some people sweet. race some people work and it's totally up to them what they want to do yeah i love it well thanks for having us honestly it's like such a it's such a privilege to have this event on the calendar so thank you to the whole team well thank you so much for coming out <laughs> thanks mitch <laughs> i think that's it for the first world cup weekend um Yeah, we're happy with that. Moving on to the next races, focused on training now so we can progress until Dendermonde. Before that, we have two things to share. First thing, every year for the past three years, uh, for the yeah for the past three seasons, we've made a unique special kit with Rafa that I'm racing with. And this year's kit is, I mean, I'm already racing it and it is now available for sale for all of you. And there's something special about today's this year's kit is that it's made from excess materials. So, you know, David and I had the goal of trying to be more sustainable. I do understand the hypocrisy here because we are traveling a lot, but we are still there are steps that we can take and we are trying to be more responsible with our decisions in that area. Um, so Rafa helped us with that and the, our kit is made of excess material. So I had the chance to chat with the with two people at Rafa so one who is responsible for design and the other who is responsible for sustainability at Rafa and they explained to me how the excess kits are made and it's actually super interesting so we'll take the next 15 minutes to listen to that um, if you want to buy the kit it's available on rafa.cc it's I think it's my favorite kit I've loved the ones that they made every year but this one is I feel proud of it because I think it has very minimal impact on the environment. It still looks awesome. It's still a kit that you can feel great in, but I think you can feel extra great wearing it because, yeah, it's just, um, it has less impact and it does good. So that, I think it's pretty cool. It's a it's a very sweet kit. And I think, you know, a lot of people came up to me this weekend at Trek and asked how they could support and how they could support and how they could support Part of our deal with Rafa, we get a percentage of these uh, jersey sales or, or suck or whatever you, you buy online. Um, so that's one way to support and not only to support, but also to show the colors, you show know, because for colors. us, when yeah. you when you send us pictures of you riding your kit and it made you go out for an extra ride in the fall because you had that new kit and you really want to put it on. Not only does a small percentage of that kit 
comes back to us, but also it gives us the firepower to go out and, and you know, train some more. So um, it's like wearing your favorite football team's jersey. Like exactly. it, it does, it does show support. And for us, it's, it's just super cool. Every time I get tagged on Instagram with people riding my kid, it's just like, yeah, I'm stoked. So it's They, just fun to see it. And I get to like interact with those people that are wearing it too. So it's like a nice way to connect with the fans of our sport. And yeah, it's just like a really cool thing that Rafa's doing. So they launched the kit, I believe last Thursday or Friday. Yeah. Friday, Friday. And so we're Tuesday and some sizes are already sold out for the past three year, every year. Uh, the kits were sold out so make sure you jump on the opportunity to get one before they're gone so let's listen to how let's finish this podcast actually by listening to how these excess kit are made um, so before we go to that thank you all for listening thank you again for everyone at the first world cup this season um Yeah, if you have questions for the next Muddy Mondays, feel free to send them to David at either on Instagram at GagnonCX or uh, by email david at MagaliRochette.com. Uh, we will answer these questions if you have some. And yeah, if you would like to be part of the Muddy Mondays, there is also an opportunity to do that. Um, last year, each episode were sponsored by our partner, but this year we're like trying to like do each episode a little bit differently. So if your company, yourself, whatever, have a message to, to share, please uh, message to share. We can do content. We can do whatever. Just let us know what you'd like to do if you want to be part of it. And we will see if we can make it happen. So David yeah. at magadirochette.com if you're interested. So yeah, thank you everyone. Thanks for listening. And here's uh, here's a little bit more about sustainability, about the rough, the creation, the design of the Rafa Excess kit of the Magali collection, and how we as consumer and athletes can do a better job. So thank you all. Have a good day. All right. Well, uh, Agatha and Adam, thank you so much for joining for joining me this morning. We're going to talk about um, the excess collection at Rafa because the kit that Rafa designed for me this year is part of that excess collection. And I just wanted to like understand a little bit more how it works. So first of all, do you do you think you can both introduce yourselves and what are your roles at Rafa, please? Sure. Morning. Um, I'm Adam. So I'm the sustainability manager here at Rafa. I cover anything from environmental and social impact of a business and how we track that, report that and hopefully improve that as we go on. Um, so my name is Agata and I'm uh, one of the mem members of design team. Uh, and I think I probably jumped around on, for, uh, on different collections throughout my years at Rafa. So I've been working on Uh, classic, Breve, Explore, um, Excess, obviously, and uh, now uh, working more on uh, brand collaborations and lifestyle. Cool. Awesome. Uh, well, first, thank you for both being there and answering all my questions this morning. So I think we could start maybe with like a I read, I think a few, maybe a month ago, Rafa sent his uh, its sustainability report. And what I understood from it is that I think Rafa is the first cycling company to have a verified science-based target initiative um, in terms of sustainability. And I think from what I was reading, you're, you're, make, you're taking a lot of different steps to improve sustainability at Rafa. And one of them is the materials that are being used and the circularity of these materials. So... Just to kind of 
help us understand a little bit more how it works. Uh, Adam, can you tell us? Yeah, can you talk about talk about that a little bit and tell us like what do you mean by circularity circularity of the materials being? Used? Yeah, sure. So I think for us. Two years ago, Rafa conducted our first carbon assessment, and that was a real in-depth analysis of where our carbon hotspots were throughout the business. And we looked at everything and where the top emissions came from. And unsurprisingly, our key area of impact is from the materials we use and the products we make. And ultimately, we know as a business that that's our impact. And it's not just carbon. The assessment only looked at carbon, but we know that the products we make have an impact on water and biodiversity as well. But we set a target to reduce our carbon footprint. And how we sort of identified in a simple way to understand this of how we can reduce it, it's how much we make and how we make it. So as a business, we've set a number of commitments around um, how we're changing the materials we're using and how we're um, working with our supply partners to actually impact the factories of, and trying to reduce their emissions. But the amount of materials we use is a really key factor in that impact. So the excess collection is looking to tackle one of the issues we face in the supply chain of over, uh, overbuying of materials. So we recognise that it's not the only answer to the problem, but we know that we need to be more efficient with what we're buying and make sure that everything we buy we're using to uh, make products with. And that's where the excess collection came in. Um, In terms of circularity, it's more fixing an issue upstream, i.e. that pre-production materials. We know that, unfortunately, technical sporting goods are difficult to do something with after they've been worn due to the blended fibres, and that's something that's being tackled in the industry, but we're not quite there yet. So this is more tackling an upstream issue, and we want know that sort of further downstream to make what we're doing more circular we need to be looking at other business streams of either um, repair which is something we're proud to offer already but also um, taking back products and looking to sort of repurpose products but we're, we're not there yet this is more yeah this is more tackling our excess upstream hmm. it's really interesting and, and and now if we talk about the excess collection because i think that that's what you know, that that's what the kit that we're talking about today is made of. So Agatha, how can you explain a little bit what the what is the excess process? So I saw some numbers, you know, I think I read like 2,300 meters of materials that were reused for the collections. Like how, like, can you explain a little bit how, how the process works and how do you go about designing like an attractive looking kit with, you know, materials that you find, I guess, in the, in the, I don't know, where, like in the warehouse? How does it work? Yeah, so um, I guess the first thing to um, maybe like mention is like why we even have access of fabrics um, to understand like what we're dealing with. So basically um, like making clothes and supply, like a supply chain for Uh, for apparel is very complex uh, and we obviously have um, supplies that we work with for different fabrics from different places and they all have their minimum order quantities so whether we or we order a fabric that's a small panel on the side or uh, or it's a full like jacket fabric they all comes with uh, like we need to order the amount the suppliers uh, tell us to 
So for some for some things we have to order more than we need, and therefore we have access uh, of it later. Uh, this um, also uh, comes with like col- uh, seasonal colors that we maybe uh, order more than we have to order more that we can actually sell. Um, mm. It's also like business reasons where we do like product amendments uh, and we have some uh, cancellations. But basically, uh, the process is a little bit different than it, you would usually be uh, in design. So we, we, it all starts with a spreadsheet, <laughs> which is a bit of a fun thing. Uh, but uh, so basically, at the end of uh, each season, we ask our s- suppliers to um, provide um, access de- declaration. So it's very detailed document where they outline all the materials and trims that uh, are leftovers uh, um, when the production is actually ended. Uh, so we take this from all our suppliers and then we sort of input it into our like mother uh, database uh, called the access database. So we can have a, like a very confusing <laughs> overview <laughs> of because it's very big um, a confusing overview of like what we actually have. So when we uh, when we des- when we start designing, we actually go into the spreadsheet and start to look for those uh, materials, uh, main body materials for the garments that have the the highest volume. And then, uh, so it's quite a time consuming um, process, but we do that, we extract this information. uh, And then once we have those, uh, the high volume fabrics, we then look what actually, what actual styles we can, uh, we can create from it. Uh, and when, once we have this, then we look at the colors, what colors we've got, and then we create um, maybe some like color story. So let's say for the first drop, uh, it was all about like contrast and uh, being really bold with it. And, every, you know, you had pink, you had blue, it was everything on it. Uh, for the second drop, we went for a little bit like maybe a uh, more tonal um, approach where we tried to pair colors that were a bit more complementary. But also while doing this, we ha- we always look at the, the volume of the material left. So let's say if we have the jersey that's like orange and pink and blue, uh, and we have a lot of orange, uh, then we know that we have to like use, the, use it as a main body and then maybe we make the blue sleeves because we have less of it. So it's really driven by, uh, by the numbers and we're trying to make it uh, so it's um, as efficient as we can, so we ha- we can use up uh, the most uh, amount of fabric possible. Uh, and as and as um, for like your collection, Santi, who designed it, uh, he also came up with amazing idea to overprint it, so it add another dimension that's like that's really visual and uh, it, yeah, it just looks great. Yeah, and can I ask if the like the. Uh, the manufacturer, I, I forget what you call them, I'm sorry, but the people that, you know, the people that do have the excess, like that, that you send to, to meet the, the, the minimums, were they open with the idea of reusing these these materials to create new kit? Has it been a pretty good response from 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 them? Uh, do you mean our suppliers? Yeah, the suppliers, sorry. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, suppliers be pretty flexible because it's it's a little bit 
like for them it's a little let's say it's a bit more complex because each pan each color each panel is it, uh, um, different colors so they it's a little bit more time consuming than like creating an usual a jersey but um, we work with amazing suppliers and they've been really flexible with us and patient so yeah it worked really well that's cool and and kind of to you know to give people an idea how much i mean the the numbers i mentioned earlier like is that truly what you guys have been able to reuse um like do you have data like numbers of how much excess material like that 2300 meters is that like yeah is, is it still ac- i mean that's crazy that's a big amount of, of that's a lot of material Yeah, so that's the first drop, uh, okay. and then in the second drop, uh, we used approximately thirteen hundred meters of uh, of fabric again, uh, wow. and then for your collection it was nearly three hundred meters. So I guess it also depends on because when we go to review the uh, the our access database, we uh, we like. We would like to find not a lot. Like our, uh, uh, like our goal is to never have to do it if we if we don't have to. Like we would like to have the least access we can. Um, it's uh, it would be amazing to don't hold any. But the realities of the industry and how we work at the moment is that we will that it, every company will have uh, some access. Um, so yeah, so basically. We don't really have like a goal each season to how much we use up, but it depends like how much of feasible access we find and how we can use it. So we don't, so we don't uh, just create uh, products to create them, but create them to uh, also look amazing and so people get excited about it. They hold on to them for the longest they can. Uh, maybe they repair them in the future and yeah, just just love the product. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think that's super cool. And um, generally, like, have you guys seen? Uh, I mean, because so I have, I've had two. I've had one kit of the first, coll- the first excess collection, and then like the one of my collection. And there are two different types of jerseys. So the the one that I'm wearing is the protein jersey, protein collection. You know that nor- people can buy on their website normally. And the other one I think was the. Um, Uh, like training jersey kind of fly so different different uh style but it looks like so you you are able to make kind of anything and everything with that excess material depending on the material that's available so the performance is not compromised at all right no so we uh our goal is to uh, just use the fabrics in the original style styles that have been designed Uh, so we yeah so the feet so we keep the performance and the feet of the products Uh, in line with our main range, uh, it's not compromised. Um, yeah, so they should perform exactly as as the as the main range. And I mean, that's what I found, but I just think that's cool. You know, that even by using it, yeah, just kind of a, a different process, you can still maintain such high quality. And Adam, um, have the reception from the public been pretty good so far about about these excess kit, but also about all the steps that Rafa has taken for uh, sustainability so far? Yeah, I think the excess kit has provoked a conversation which wasn't happening before. So from yourself wearing it and previously with EF wearing it in Vigiro, it really brought to the forefront sort of, the topic and began a conversation. I think it's important 
and exciting to see customers wanting to engage with us about this process. And we know that this isn't going to fix every issue in terms of manufacturing. And I think it's important to be able to have a, a dialogue with customers and where platforms like this are helpful to sort of open the lid of how technical it is to make these products. These aren't, we're not getting this material for free. It's a lot of work to put these kits together, but it does fix an issue. And I think it's just how we share this information and how we begin to address all the different issues that there are within manufacturing kit and how we can still deliver performance materials and performance wear to our athletes and to our customers. Um, but as we've sort of talked about, we're hoping that this kit becomes redundant. The ideal is that we get to a point where excess isn't enough to make kits. One bit mm -hmm. of a number which I think is really interesting when you look at it is our total of all the fabric we buy, less than 2% is currently excess. And we hope that by 2024, this could go well below 1%. So, alter so we are working to reduce that. And I think when you see excess kits, you're thinking, wow, Rafa has like warehouses full of it. That isn't the case. We are working to reduce that. And a lot of that isn't as glamorous as making kits. It's more process and how we can implement in normal kit for use of excess. So in our uppers of some of our new bib shorts, we'll be using excess. We're not going to be talking about it in the same way, it's just part of a design process. So we have a responsibility, mm -hmm. I think, to share these messages and highlight the issues that the industry faces and how we as a brand are tackling them. But also we have a responsibility just to get on with the work behind the scenes, much like all the training that you have to do. You, you're not necessarily rewarded for it and we don't think we should be. It should just be how we improve as a business. So yeah, we're we're happy to engage on it and we we love to see it out there and being worn and ridden in because that's what it's designed for but we also hope that this is only the beginning of how we can incorporate sort of design to fix issues within uh, the industry that's awesome yeah thank you so much for sharing it's interesting for me to understand really how it works and you know maybe like and this can be off the record like I, I don't I'm just like personally curious but do you think so you talked about you know a lot of the excess you know came from the minimums that the suppliers or like like how the manufacturing process works and like basically how the chain works do you think that if more company like rafa in the industry in the clothing industry would like get together do you think there's a chance that these the way these chains work could kind of minimize that excess or like are there changes that could be done to help that or uh, so there's a few things that you could look at one of them and we haven't really explored it recently, but is around making to demand. So part of this issue is we make a collection and we're not sure exactly how many units will sell from that. So we have to make a yeah. certain number and there is often excess in that. So a make to order model can fix that, but we know that for our size, that doesn't often work and customers want for products immediately. So we then need to look at how, how we can deal with this material at the end. Um, and I think, There are sort of, we do have the option to sell old materials or there is like a market where these factories can put up any old materials that they have left to be sold. The nature of the fibers and materials we're using, they're so technical, they're not easily and readily used by another company or mm. brand. If we were selling cotton t-shirts, it would be quite easy to sell meters of 
organic cotton to another company for materials that we've engineered are really technical so there's not always that transferability but there's definitely opportunities to explore it more and just sort of I think there's also a role that the customer can play in really making sure that what they're buying and demanding is to the highest standard and they're buying it for the right reasons and this is where we talked about like emotional durability I think is so key and really cherishing that jersey and I know for for you it's your kit that you're riding in from like a work perspective but so many of our customers are also just choosing to ride in that and I think that's where if you have a piece of kit that you value you look after it for longer and we design our products to last for years so hopefully in in some ways it's it's difficult from a business perspective but from some ways we don't want to be designing kits that people are having to buy every six months. We want to make kit that lasts and people cherish. And can I ask about that? Like, what are some of the things that we can do? I mean, and I know it's well written on the website. If we purchase something, like there's instructions about how to care for it better. But like, in simple ways, like, let, let's say we th- we're talking about like a protein jersey. What are some ways that us as customers can make sure that it lasts for a long time like is it like never drying it like what are some of the steps that we can take to make it more lasting in yeah time? so as part of the carbon assessment we looked at sort of the impact of all of the products and where that impact comes from and a huge amount of impact can come from the care of the product uh, and drying is the worst possible thing we don't because of the fibers we're using you should never tumble dry for technical fibers Um, anyway they should always be line dried and that fortunately fits very well from a climate perspective because tumble drying and the US is the worst of any country for this for tumble drying their products so if you could do one thing it would be from a performance and a climate perspective is don't put your kit in the tumble dryer Um, and then obviously following the instructions where we have care guides online for all of our products And that normally means washing your kit at 30 degrees Celsius and no more. Uh, And basic things like that do really have an impact. Ultimately, the biggest impact normally comes from the product being made. So just making sure that through caring for your product, it lasts for as long as possible. You're actually helping from an environmental perspective, because if it wears out quicker or you don't care for it and you then have to buy a new one, which sort of adds to this cycle. Cool. Oh, well, thank you. That That's good to know. So I think people can feel good. Like if they buy the kit from the excess collection and they take care, good good care of it, and they kind of yeah have, feel an emotional connection about making a right choice and a kit that they love and that they feel good in it, uh, they can feel good about buying the excess collection. Like it does, it's, it's a pretty good uh, sustainable process. Yeah, we hope so. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to share about this topic that I that I missed, or do you think that it's pretty good? Or uh, no, I just want to give shout out to all the people who, uh, because I'm maybe a voice for the excess collection, but actually it's a lot of us on in different um, places around the in different. Um, people around the business that really care for uh, for this project and uh, do amazing job behind the scenes so yeah shout out to everyone <laughs> awesome well thank you so much Agatha and Adam <laughs> <laughs>